Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education at Monash University and here we talk with researchers in and around the faculty about their current reading, writing and thinking. So welcome to another Meet the Education Researcher podcast. My name is Neil Selwyn. I work in the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. And the aim of these interviews is simple. We spend 15 minutes or so getting to know what researchers in and around the faculty are currently up to. So today I'm joined by Naomi Barnes, lecturer in education at Queensland University of Technology, QUT. Good morning, Naomi. Good morning, Neil. Now, I want to talk to you about the realities of education research, but to start on a positive note, I mean, what is it about being an education researcher that you love? Why are you choosing to spend the best years of your life doing this? To be honest, I really like the people that I'm working with. Um, That's probably 100% why I like education research because I've been surrounded by some really good people. Um, Secondly, I'd have to say that I really enjoy trying to problem solve. I really enjoy sort of trying to seeing where the problems are, where the holes are and trying to tackle them one at a time, sort of like a praxis approach where you go around in circles and say, oh, that didn't work that time. What didn't work? How can we try and deal with that one particular problem? I really love that problem solving thing. That's what really gets me going, really, being a problem solver. If you like problems, <laughs> academia is a good place to be working. Now, I mean, you're yep. an early career researcher, yes. but I mean, what have been some of your career highlights so far? Uh, two weeks ago, I got my first stable job. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so that has to go at the top of the list. Um, uh, one of the things that I also enjoyed doing is I was working as a senior research assistant on a quality teaching project. And even though that that's not uh, my research area, uh, it was really good to be able to learn sort of be an apprentice to sit and watch how good research is done, how good research is written up. Because I think um, teachers come to academia with a lot of administrative and teaching skills and organisational skills. And one of the things that there really does need to be apprenticeship in is how to do quality research. So it was wonderful being on that ARC. And I won't I won't say that getting my PhD and getting a follow-up um, publication postdoc wasn't great, but I was pretty much flapping around in the dark. So yeah. that was a great experience to have to work with those really experienced researchers. I mean, we both know academia is not a bed of roses. I mean, it wasn't great when I started in the 1990s, and it certainly isn't great as we approach the 2020s. But I mean, what do you think we need to be talking about? I mean, in particular, what are the big issues we need to be aware of when it comes to the current predicament of early career researchers? I think one of the things that uh, people would go straight to is precarity. But I think precarity is a bit of a symptom of a bigger situation, which is this normalisation of flexibility as a virtue. So it's like, oh, but it means that you'll be able to go and pick your kids up early. You know, and those sorts of things. So you can you can move your work around your kids, or you can, or your other things that you need to do. And but what it ends up being is the sessional workers are the ones that are doing the tutoring at school pickup time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in the evenings, those sorts of things. So it doesn't necessarily work that way. I think early career research as a part of it is also that you get this in. They're hired and told uh, get for intense teaching loads to get their foot in the door, but the intense teaching loads means they have to take up family time to do the things which are going to get them out of intense teaching loads so they can do the research, which is part of re- the reason a lot of people come into academia this, these days. So we've got flexibility, we've got balancing. Also, I think, and this is a situation I've seen in a few universities, is that there's a big vacuum between ECRs and senior academics. A lot of mid-career academics seem to have walked away from the industry with middle fingers raised high, which has left all these enthusiastic ECRs. So I know it's very 
difficult to get a job in academia, but there it seems to be a very bottom-heavy industry, which means that I think there have to be opportunities for leadership for ECRs. And there's a, and the wonderful thing about something like the Faculty of Education, I suppose, is that you have a lot of expertise coming in who have been principals, deputies, heads of curriculum in Department of Education with all those really good leadership skills and they just need a bit of help with the research side of things and yeah. how to do quality research and those sorts of things. So and we do research yeah. and education talking about distributed leadership yes. and you know, 360 <laughs> and all this stuff. Yeah. So it's practising what we preach in a way. Yeah, I think so. So I think that that's going to be a continued problem because as the senior leadership leave or go, you, we're going to. I don't know if this is going to happen, is being left with universities which are run by ECRs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily, it's, it's acknowledging the other expertise that comes in with uh, with people who have been in industry before they come into academia. So accreditation of prior leadership as yeah. opposed to accreditation of prior learning. Yes, <laughs> those sorts of things. So I'm trying so, to think yeah. of ways forward. I mean, we, we yep, can yep. all point out problems, but it's Absolutely. really interesting for you to kind of raise that and also a possible yep. solution. Yeah. So um, I think it, we have to look at what does it mean to be a quality academic. Like the DECRA isn't the key quality indicator. It's not an output, it's an no, input measure. It's a, yeah, exactly. So, But if the academia is only talking to ECRs about getting a DECRA, mm. you're not actually valuing other skills that people have. And it's like I heard an interesting uh, story yesterday where one particular university sits down and has DECRA writing groups, but they it's not competitive. It's like they're sharing it and saying, well, look, we're all just going to work our hardest, we're all going to get do the best we can, but we don't know what the Australian Research Council wants. So let's just all support each other to get there and yeah. good luck if you're the one that wins the lotto, basically. So, And I think that's a really nice approach and I think that's the sort of leadership that um, ECRs are bringing into the academy and I think that the senior academics should value that collective type approach to what we want to do. We don't want to compete with each other. We're often all here because we're friends and our friends have said, we need you to, um, we really want to work with you and we don't want to then go into our little cubicles and do our own individualistic rock star thing anymore, yeah, yeah, if yeah. that makes if that makes sense. Which brings me on to the whole topic of social media. Okay. In some ways, social <laughs> yeah. media is a space where you can network. You don't yes. have to be working in a pod. So, I mean, yep. so you use Twitter a lot. I mean, I wanted to talk to you about academic Twitter. You're <laughs> yes. coming up to 10 years on Twitter. Yes. You've got nearly 3,000 followers. Yep. 20 and a half thousand tweets 20 and a half thousand likes i mean the first question which yep. i think deserves an honest answer yep. how much of your time does twitter take not a lot of time because really? i do it in the gaps okay so i do it while i'm watching tv at night yeah, yeah. i um do it in on my commutes uh, i do it at my lunch time um, if I'm doing admin work, I will like, it's sort of like the same way I would use email. So you're second screening or it's yeah, on in the back? Yeah, sort of second screening it. And I mean, I sit there and justify what well, I research it. <laughs> I'm allowed to, yeah, yeah. you know, those sorts of things. And you're impacting yeah. as and well. I'm in, yes. Now, I know a lot, yeah. of, a lot of education academics don't actually engage with Twitter and I don't yeah. think they want to know. So I'm hoping actually you're going to be able to convince people that it's, it's oh, a good really? idea. So, I mean, First off, one of the best things I think about Twitter is as a source of information, keeping in the loops. I mean, who mm -hmm. do you follow and what do you get out of following them? I have a philosophy in following, which is not necessarily what a lot of people apply when they you do Twitter following. So they always say, okay, so we need to open up the dialectic. So we need to understand, like, you disagree with me. 
so therefore I need to follow you. Absolutely. But the thing is that that often descends into fights because Twitter isn't really the place to have a dialectic that comes up with a thesis. So what I do is I follow people who agree with me maybe 80% and disagree with me 20%. Occasionally they're tweeting kind of pro-Trump stuff, but the rest of the time they're... (laughs) Never Trump followers, (laughs) though I have descended into the depths of having a look at Trump Twitter. Of course. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And that's the thing I think I like about Twitter is those things which make you uncomfortable, there's the possibility of going and checking it out, Mm. but you don't have to make it part of your life. So what I'm talking about is... um, One of the things which I was very challenged by when I first started using Twitter was how white my Twitter was. Mm -hmm. And so I um, try to follow a lot of people of colour and find out what they're talking about. And that's really led me to books um, like Sarah Ahmed and Bell Hooks and these sorts of pieces of literature which were not part of my white academia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've and it's expanded the way I think because I've been able to sort of see things which I didn't see before or know and those sorts of things. So it's like I suppose Venn diagramming your Twitter followers rather than two different binaries. I'm thinking of things in terms of even just following say US based academics. You're yes. part of different conversations, different circuits of information. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean I'm quite interested in this idea of hashtag movements as well. So I mean have yeah. there been any kind of memorable hashtag movements that have kind of, as you say, influenced the information and the, and the messages that you've been getting? So I lurk quite a lot mm. and have a, and I'm watching a lot. So I don't want to pick on hashtags because I don't think that's fair because these people are just trying to do the right thing and they believe what they're doing is the right thing. But one of the things I've noticed about hashtag movements, uh, what happens is people mob around a cause and it's become a platform. And so, but people are using the voices of the mob to then make policies out for the people. So it's saying that the mob is actually democracy. On a more prosaic level, I mean, things like Immodest Women or Shut Up and Write, you can really see that being a generative. Yeah, it is. And it, it actually works in a really good way. So I use Shut Up and Write and... I changed my name to Doctor for a little while um, on there for the Immodest Women push and then I took it off again because really? I, yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's just a personal, it's it's a personal, a personal choice. It's a personal thing. Yeah. I'm still part of Tall Poppy Australia, <laughs> no matter what it says, you know, no matter what it says. Yeah. But I, I also think that on Twitter I'm, I try to be personable. I don't want to put up a barrier in that personal mm. In that personal, is like I want. I've got doctor in my hashtag. I don't need it twice. I don't need to have Doctor Naomi Barnes, Doctor Novin, well, PhD going, in education. Doctor Doc. <laughs> I was, I was actually going to ask you about what you post yourself. I yeah. mean, what sort of stuff you write? Because I mean, there is an argument amongst kind of digital scholars that yeah. you should always blend your personal and your professional, yeah. and blah blah blah. Yeah. I mean, what sort of balance do you strive for? Do you tweet about Deleuze and dogs? <laughs> no, I tweet about dogs and children. Um, I never put my children's faces on Twitter. Mm. I put their artwork on Twitter. I tell their stories on Twitter. What I do do, and I think it's what I get the most followers for, to be completely honest, is not that talking, is that I try to make things transparent in academia. That's my activism in using Twitter. So I try to make things transparent. So I live tweet papers of papers which are behind the paywall so that teachers can see what senior academics are saying. Uh, without having to spend hundreds of dollars on a paper or hundreds of dollars on a book. 
So that was that's my little activism that I do. Yeah. So I try, which has turned me into. I do a lot of exegesis. Basically, it's like, oh, this sounds good, and that I don't really agree with that bit. And so you know those sorts of things. So I do that, but also early in my Twitter career, I was talking very openly about doing my PhD as well as raising children, and saying that it's actually normal. Um, and I and I talk very openly about. It. I talk very openly about how it frustrates me having children and trying to be an academic yeah, as well. Yeah. Because you get in this really good way of thinking and then all of a sudden you've got to go and do school pickup. And these are conversations, as you say, we don't normally have when we come into work to the faculty. No, I agree. And when I started doing my PhD, I thought I was the only person in the world that had ever had children doing a PhD. (laughs) I was quite surprised (laughs) that I wasn't. (laughs) Excellent. I mean, well, actually, I should have asked you what your Twitter handle is just so Uh, people can follow you. So, (laughs) Dr. Noman. (laughs) Dr. Noman. Yes, N-O-M-Y-N. Excellent. Yes. People listening want to follow Naomi on Dr. Noman. Why yeah. Dr. Noman? Because that's my nickname from when my what my sister called me when I was when she was five. Excellent. You know, like really young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they <laughs> blending the person the yes. present. Follow Dr. Noman so they can see from themselves for the time being. Many thanks for taking time for chat. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Neil.